0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Belltale Rugby. I am Neve Campbell, back after a mad few weeks covering politics that are actually back up and running in Northern Ireland. But we'll not chat about that, I feel like I'll explain why I wasn't here for ages. Um, I'm joined by our Belfast Telegraph rugby correspondent, Jonathan Bradley, and our resident sports reporter, Adam McKendry. This, This week, there's quite a bit to dig into with the Six Nations. Ireland had a record breaking win over France at the weekend, but there were no Ulster men on the match day squad, uh, which Adam actually told me they're a good stat. It's like the first time ever there's been no Ulster born player or Ulster associated player in the Ireland squad. And uh, I suppose it's hard to argue with Andy Farrell about that decision given the result in the end, wouldn't you say, Jonathan?
1: Well, it's hard enough to argue before the game, really, but Henderson is obviously Ulster's best player, the closest to make in the 23 the one on the central contract. And I think, we've talked about this before, that he's probably in better form than Ulster as a team are, but naturally Ulster's form as a team will work against him. But you can't really say that he has a massive claim to be playing when the two best players on the pitch are then the players in his position. It would be um, a bit one-eyed to come on and say uh, Henderson should be ahead of either Byrne or... Joe McCarthy or sorry big Joe McCarthy as I think it's enforced that it, you have to call him um, he's earned us after that after that performance because obviously they were the uh, I was going to say for my money the best two players on the pitch but I don't think anyone could uh, yes, it's counter every, that anybody else money.
2: yeah <laughs> I I wonder, in order to get the politicians back in Stormont, did we have to sacrifice something else, which was an <laughs> Ulster player in the Ireland squad? Like, was that the sacrifice that had to be made? We have somewhere? an
1: executive, but no representation on the Irish rugby team. It's, uh, it's an interesting trade-off.
2: <laughs> no, I I'm, I completely agree with Johnny there. Like, can you say that any of the Ulster players should have gotten into the squad ahead of the team that Andy Farrell did pick? Probably not. Are there some guys who maybe might feel that they could have gotten in that squad? Yeah, I think... I think if there had been a 5-3 split on the bench, then Stockdale would have been in with a good chance of being the 23. Um, I think Henderson did have a shot at being on the bench, but equally can't really argue that he wasn't one of the three loose forwards on the bench. I do feel like that was the team that we kind of expected to be picked and Ulster just yeah, they've sort of paid the price for the collective struggles that Ulster have had and Unfortunately, that's something that, especially after that win over France, doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon.
0: Well, you actually have a column uh, today in the paper, Johnny, and it's uh, just the title on, is Ulster Rugby's Cash Crunch means the province has to take a step back before moving forward. Uh, the The province had £900,000 losses in the last year and it's thought that Billy Burns is expected to leave Ulster for Munster and I suppose what you're talking about there is, you know, how are we going to, how say ways if it's us, but just because we're based in this province, um, how how are Ulster going to come back from this now? Do You know, is it I suppose they have to start up from the ground and not really worry too much about players getting on the Ireland squad? It's more of a grassroots thing first, would you say?
1: Yeah, I think the fact that there's no player in an in an Ireland 23 isn't indicative of what's happening solely with the senior team and what's happening solely with the senior team right now. It involves an awful lot of people in the organisation from top to bottom looking at what has occurred so that you have this situation where not even that there isn't an Ulster player but there's no argument even from Ulster fans like rugby fans by their nature are partisan, they're going to uh, you know we have this every year if so and so from my province wasn't included it's a disgrace blah, blah, blah 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 that's not just Ulster fans that's everyone. But I didn't even hear anybody really arguing about it and it's very easy to say oh Ian Henderson didn't get picked so there's no Ulster player. That shouldn't be the question. The question should be higher you in a position where Ian Henderson not getting picked means that there's nobody. And a big part of that is that they just haven't produced enough players. Certainly they haven't produced enough forwards. They haven't produced forwards. The quality of the Leinster forwards if you go through the team obviously Porter Sheehan, Furlong, Byrne, McCarthy, O'Mahony, Vanderflyer, Kaelin Doris. The only one that didn't come through the Leinster systems there is Peter O'Mahony. So again, you're going back, as we always seem to say, like Leinster are the blueprint, but you have to look at Leinster not at what they're able to do differently in terms of private schools, but what can they, what do they do well that means that they are able to produce such a quantity of players? because it's not even top-end quality that we're talking about now, it's quantity. And there is another piece of it at play, which is obviously the loss of form over the last number of years that we've talked about, whether it be Jacob Stockdale, Robert Balakun, James Hume, Mike Laurie, all these guys have had injuries. A number of those guys are showing signs of form again. Stockdale's obviously got himself back in the panel, as Adam mentioned um just not in the 23 for a frontline game yet. So there's that. But again, I think that's short-term thinking. I think that's looking at the small picture. The big picture has to be if there's 37 men in an Ireland World Cup squad, Ulster should be maybe they'll never be the biggest producer for the national team but I think there's an argument to be made that they should certainly be the second and you've got six players out of 36, 37 and none in the first 23 so it all speaks for itself and it all speaks to a wider problem that I've spoken about in the column that you obviously have to have frontline international players to be competitive Ulster don't have them at the minute so they have to go about Producing them because, again, as we talked about, they're not going to be able to buy them. And I think increasingly with what we're seeing with uh, Billy Burns being the example is, for obviously anyone that didn't hear last week, it's not that Billy Burns has chosen to go to Munster. Ulster have chosen not to offer a contract that they undoubtedly would have offered two years ago because they can't afford to have a squad of that size. So... I suppose the middle of the squ- what we would see is the middle of the squad is probably where the squeeze comes in because you're not really going to be able to contend with fringe international players. So players that are in that sort of 5 to 15 cap range, like obviously a couple of those players is great, but you can't win just with those players. So Ulster have to find a way to get more of the... Ian Henderson's again, I repeat, we're not talking about this. You know, this story isn't the fact that Ian Henderson got dropped for the France game. It's the fact that Ian Henderson getting dropped meant that there was no other contender,
0: really. Do you think, Adam, in terms of morale, So, suppose it's an obvious question, after, you know, Ulster had that calamitous loss against Harlequins a couple of weeks ago and then not this week but the ne- weekend after they're going to play osprey's um you know do you think that's going to have a a disastrous effect on the team as a whole in terms of psychology and morale well i think
2: to look at the sort of wider question to pick up on something that johnny alluded to which was that not having any senior players is terrible like for for Ulster as a province as johnny says you, you should be probably the second biggest contributor to the international team after Leinster um if not a very close third to Munster and Ulster currently are quite comfortably the fourth you could almost overlook that and i'm i'm saying almost because we're talking like a a very tiny amount overlooking but you could almost say, you know, well, we don't have any senior internationals right now, but look at the under 20s and we have 15 players in the under 20s team or something like that. You can at least say, look at the talent pipeline that's coming through and we're just in a little bit of a fallow period right now. Ulster had three players in the under 20s team that won in France on Saturday night. So it's not even that you can look at, well, we don't have any senior players right now, but we have these players coming through. They had three. So I think the bigger concern is that not only are they struggling to get players into the international team right now, they are struggling to bring players through even beyond that. So while yes, I think there will be a morale hit in terms of the over overwhelming picture for Ulster, do you, I think there'll be a morale hit for the for the first team whenever whenever they come back together to, to face the Ospreys. No, I don't, because I think you can overlook that. I think the bigger issue is the wider picture for Ulster, which is that you have a team that is struggling on the pitch. They're out of the Champions Cup. They're going into the Challenge Cup. The URC is so bunched right now, as we've talked about on previous podcasts. Ulster are a couple of losses away from being battling just to get into the playoffs let alone being competing for a home a home quarterfinal a home semifinal um they've got a situation where they're struggling to retain players because they don't have the money to offer them contracts it's not even that players are deciding to go and play elsewhere because they just want a new challenge or something like that they are struggling to retain players because they can't pay them which is a massive issue in terms of financially trying to put a team on the pitch that can compete. And now you're even saying that the team that they've got is not contributing anybody to uh, a senior team. Like you think about the Ulster teams of the past that, you know, I have watched Ulster teams that have struggled to just get into Europe. They haven't even been competitive at the top end of the league. They just they've been scrapping to get into Europe for next season. And they've managed to contribute Ulster players to the international setup. To be in a position now where not just that no none of your players got into the Ulster team, or sorry, the Ireland team to play France at the weekend. It's not even like there's somebody injured who would be a shoe-in to get in. You had everybody available there and you didn't get anybody into the Ireland team. And Ireland had a few guys missing for that game. You're talking about Mack Hansen not being there and you're not getting someone in. Like, that's that to me, it's the wider picture. I think whenever whenever the Ulster senior team comes back together to play the Ospreys, I think they'll be fine. They'll be looking at it very much in an enclosed bubble of this is what we have to do. They'll probably have quite a few of the Ireland guys back for that game in order to get them game time in order to to help out with their situation. So I think from that perspective, I think they'll be fine. It's the wider implications for where the province is right now and it's not a good place for them to be at all.
1: And I think uh, it's just important to add to that that like Ian Henderson being selected or as we had two years ago when there wasn't going to be an Ulsterman in the 23 and then somebody got injured and James Shum ended up on the bench against Wales in the opener a couple of years ago. That's just a sticking plaster, really. You know, the wider picture at Ulster isn't changed by whether Andy Farrell selects one Ulsterman or two Ulstermen or whatever. But just to add to what Adam said and why we're talking about this being at all levels, I suppose one of the biggest problems... Perhaps even the biggest problem is in turning those under-20s players into more than good provincial players, because we've seen a lot of players come through that have played provincial rugby, have had good runs at Champions Cup rugby, but for whatever reason, those players are not being turned into internationals. So it's not even to say that they're not producing enough good players from schools and clubs or getting enough good players into the academy. Whenever players come out of the academy, there isn't a good enough conversion rate of turning those players into frontline internationals either.
0: Billy Burns, is he is he definitely as good as gone to Munster, by the way, as far as you understand?
1: As far as I understand, he's 100%, I was going to say 110%, be, be like those people on the Twitter, she's so <laughs> always <doing> the percentages. <laughs> he is 100% not going to be at Ulster next season. My understanding is it remains to be seen whether he goes to Munster but that is the most likely yeah. place that he ends up. But the two things are completely disconnected because he wouldn't have ended up at Munster if yep. Ulster had have offered him a contract.
0: And then um, just in case any listeners didn't didn't realise because you'd written about this as well Johnny um, Tom O'Toole they thought there had been talks that Leinster was maybe looking at him but he's not going to go for now.
1: No. So this is the other side of this coin really. So my understanding of it is, and this will probably frustrate the other provinces giving the wider discourse about Leinster central contracts, is that Leinster obviously having had such a high percentage of their squad paid for on central contracts, I think it's 10, I could be wrong, Um, <laughs> were attempting to use the money that they have saved there to try and tempt an Irish head, one of whom was Tom O'Toole, to be their backup tighthead to Tag Furlong I don't think anybody beyond the most dyed in the wool Leinster fan would have thought that was in any way good for Irish rugby if either Tom O'Toole or Finlay Bealham went to Leinster so you end up in this situation where I think it was certainly my understanding of it in the in the case of Tom O'Toole is that it was never going to happen because it was never going to be sanctioned and furthermore I think we talked about this before like you can't outbid somebody so if Ulster offer Tom O'Toole a tenner a game, Leinster can only offer him a tenner a game. And obviously a tenner in your pocket in Belfast gives you a lot more than a tenner in your pocket in Dublin. So I'd say that probably plays into these things as well. It would do for me anyway. Well, <laughs> we should we should note that Tom O'Toole uh, donated his fee when he appeared on this podcast. Yeah, so true. Um, true. Not financially motivated, but motivated in... Uh,
0: in, in appealing to dog charities. Yes,
1: in uh, helping out the dogs, it just makes, so makes us am, like a much more. better, per- a much better person <laughs> than me. So i probably not even thinking about these things.
2: You're getting a fee for this show. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, I get a fee for every day.
0: <laughs> um in, in terms of like maybe good news for Ulster. Uh, Prop, no, he's not homegrown obviously, but Steven Kitshoff, he retained his place as the best player in the URC after the competition released the latest edition of their top 100 rankings. So, um, we're, we're going to go glass glass half full here, Adam. Well deserved, would you say?
2: I don't give any credence to these <laughs> rankings whatsoever. I mean, look, Steven Kitshoff is a world class loose head prop. I, I, this isn't what I'm arguing, but the fact that Italy back row Manuel Zuliani is number two on this list and then did not start for Italy in their Six Nations opener against England at the weekend, I think tells you everything you need to know about where these players actually rank. It's look, you you look down that list and you know you you have big names up there like Eben Etzebeth, Oxen Shea, um Gary Ringrose, Jack Conan, they're, they're all in the top ten, but realistically our are those lists, you know, like actual Gospel. scientific evidence that these are the best players? No, there's a, there's a lot more that goes into sport than just looking at hard and cold facts. They can give you a general picture of who's performing well, but is it actually who is the best players? No, you know, Ulster have uh, four other players in the top a hundred. Uh, three of them are front rowers, and would you say Ulster's scrum has been one of the strengths of their game this season? No. So and my laugh wasn't picked
1: up there by that. Right the <laughs> a, a scoff, so, a, a, snor- a snort of
2: So, like, <laughs> that's uh, uh, Stephen Kitchoff. Is he a world class prop? Yes, he is. Is he going to make Ulster better by being in their lineup? Yes, he will am I going to give a massive amount of credence to the fact that he's number one in the ERC's top 100? No, I'm not. That's just the bottom line for me.
1: I've been reading a lot about data in sports recently because it's interesting and how it's um, become so prominent in a relatively short space of time and how it's affecting the discourse um, around sports and stuff. But one of the main learnings that all of these people that are much smarter than me have taken from this is that if your set of results is consistently producing outliers, then you need to check your processes of how you're getting to the results. And I would say that's probably how we're ending up with the top 100 that doesn't feel representative of the top 100 players in the ERC. Also, I said I was going to disregard this last year when it didn't feature Andy Warwick in it. And even though he hasn't played as much this year, I stand by that.
0: Out of curiosity, sorry, Adam, what were you going to say? Well, no, uh,
2: I was just going to say that whenever you look at something that is purely based on statistics, which the RC's top hundred is like, if, if anybody doesn't know how they do it, there there is a a system that they use which calculates the importance of a player's impact on a game. So a tackle uh, in their own twenty-two, or you know, f- four players who kick for goal. You know their successful kick percentage and FIFA things like ridden. that. It's
0: like a FIFA course. It's
2: Almost like a FIFA card, kind of, but it's it's all based on statistics. But the one thing that you can never, ever factor into statistics is context. You know, you can never put into context, you know, like, all right, you know, let's say player X scores 10 tries in a season and player Y scores five tries in a season. That sounds like player X has done much better than player Y. But let's say you then add in the context of player X happened to happen to start every single game. And played and played eighty minutes in every single game. But player Y started five games in the season. Hmm. And only actually came off the bench for 20 minutes in each game. Well, which player sounds like a better finisher of tries? Well, all of a sudden now it's player Y sounds better because they're scoring five tries in the space of 100 minutes, whereas player X has scored 10 tries in about 2,000 minutes Mm -hmm. in the season. So you always have to apply context to statistics in order to make them make sense and while some statistics you can just look at in basic black and white and that that matters or that's how that's how you calculate them whenever you're looking at something you're trying to encompass you know who's the best player in the league across multiple positions across multiple teams with different schedules with uh, different systems I understand why the ERC have done it. It creates a bit of discourse. It creates a bit of. I mean, we're talking about rivalry. Just about yeah, to we we're we talking we published about it on the website. Yeah. The best player was an Ulster player. But
0: you Take know, a pinch do, of salt.
2: Do, yeah, pinch of salt. Like, anyone can say that Stephen Ketchup is a good player because he is a good player. You know, like he's he's a Springbok World Cup winner. He has received multiple awards for how well he's played. Like, of course, he's a great player. You don't need. To do all the statistical breakdown to to you know like but can you categorically say Stephen Kitchoff is a better rugby player than you know Kina Moody, who's number seven and a winger on this list? Well, they play completely different positions. you know how can you say that Stephen Kitchoff is a better rugby player than Kina Moody whenever their their skill sets are completely different they're asked to do different roles during a game, like Kina Moody's job as a winger ultimately does depend on how someone like Stephen Kitchoff plays because backs are only as good as the possession that they get, which is largely down to what the forwards do. And the forwards then rely on the backs being able to work their magic off the back of the ball that they produce. So I, I, just, I just think it's a, it's a very difficult thing to try and rank players who play in different positions. If if you were able to look at it and go, these are the best 10 props in the league. These are the 10 best hookers in the league. I would give more credence to that. I still wouldn't necessarily row in behind it, but I would give more credence to, uh, to a ranking of players in their positions as opposed to a uh, top 100 players in every position.
0: That's what you should do. Actually, next week feature or column ideas. You're Talk trying in. to give Lists, me more work Lists. to do. Uh,
2: um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> talking about stats, um, and this obviously is is a, a very positive one that everyone will have picked up on. And going back to the game at the weekend, um, Ireland racked up their biggest ever points tally and margin of victory um, in in their France fixt- er, fixture. And Annie Farrell have said that they're going to embrace the idea of becoming the first team to win back to back Grand Slams in the Six Nations era. Uh, do you think they're they're on a run to do so? Uh, Johnny, obviously they're up against Italy this Sunday. I'd say the odds are very much in their favour. Would have mean in their favour anyway, but obviously after that performance at the weekend now.
1: Yeah, I think the big thing from the weekend is that you can always put Ireland in one camp and everybody else in another. <laughs> so like the other games were close, which speaks volumes about how good Ireland were. But the other games were close, they were good to watch, it was entertaining for neutrals but I think my main takeaway from those four games sorry those two games would be that the other four teams aren't good like Scotland looked good for a half Wales looked good for a half I would say they're both just not good and Italy looked an awful lot better but England obviously with an awful lot of new moving parts and stuff still managed to be relatively bad and still beat them so The weekend from that perspective couldn't have gone any better for Andy Farrell because he watched his side demolish the second best team away on the Friday and then saw four eminently beatable teams play over the rest of the weekend. Now, we know about home advantage in the Six Nations despite the fact that obviously three away teams won this weekend. But we know traditionally how important home advantage is. There's still a possibility that that England away game in round four has the look of a banana skin potentially England and I'm not just doubling down on this because I said it before the tournament England <laughs> should theoretically get better as we go um so I'm not I'm not saying that it's 100% in the bag but we are now in a situation which is not the situation I expected to be talking about today where Ireland would now have to be very disappointed, I think, if they don't go on to win a Grand Slam.
2: I'll tell you what I think the Italy game at the last weekend did do, which has probably changed Andy Farrell's mind a little bit in how many changes he Mm. might make for this game. Now, I don't think he was going to make wholesale changes anyway because you've then got the week's break afterwards. And you had
1: the nine-day turnaround before. Yeah,
2: so this isn't me saying that I think Ireland were going to go wholesale and we were going to have 15 new players starting the game. Any changes that he was maybe thinking about making, I think he might be starting to rethink. Just because Italy were a lot better than I think a lot of people thought they were going to be. And they did genuinely push England until maybe about the 65-70 minutes mark. And they managed to get a bonus point, which fair, fair play to them. I don't think a lot of people thought they would. So... Look, Ireland should have more than enough in this tank, no matter in the tank, no matter how many changes they make. But I think whenever you've just had the big win over France, you don't want to immediately trip up at the next hurdle, especially when that hurdle is Italy. So I think you might see Ireland going with a very similar team to what they had out last week. When maybe in the back of Farrell's mind beforehand, he was thinking, "We can make." One or two extra changes for this game, knowing that it's just Italy. I think that's and that's a, that's a credit to Italy for what they did. As a, more than anything else, I think they they showed that they are a team that have found a little bit of a something that they can start to build on. And I think after a few people have watched Full Contact, you've got uh, you've got everybody trying to row in behind Italy as much as possible now. So uh, it's. I think it will be an interesting game at the weekend. As I said, I think Ireland will have far too much for Italy, no matter what team they put out. But I, I'm certainly interested to see how this game goes now.
0: Just out of curiosity, my last little question, because Johnny, like you, had touched on earlier, that would it have really made a difference the results if if one or two Ulster players had have been put in that match to a squad at the weekend? Um, like, would you would you either you guys make any changes? Maybe not necessarily Ul- Ulster men, but for for the for, uh, the upcoming game, would you yourself?
1: It wouldn't surprise me at all if we actually do see a change funny it's not a change I would actually make but it wouldn't surprise (laughs) me if we see not because of anything to do with the player but Andy Farrell historically until Friday had never went with a 6-2 split I think he did that for France I don't think he will do that this weekend and what Andy Farrell has historically shown a predilection to do is have a centre on the bench Gary Ringrose is injured there's four centres in the squad so I would say you're probably talking better than 50-50 odds that Stuart McCluskey is actually on the bench for this game, which would be an Ulsterman. I, I personally don't I don't like the centre on the bench because I think you want more versatility on that, but we, than that, but we've seen him do it time and time and time again. He obviously does like it. He, so he
2: being Andy Farrell. Well, then Ciaran K- Frawley fills that role really well. Ciaran Frawley should back up 10 if you've got three well, backs on the bench. Well, I know, but... You can have him as your backup 10, your backup 12 and your backup 15.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. But um, I don't think he's the best 12 to be on the bench. So if you're going to have no. a 12 on the bench, then I think it's McCluskey. I think you have all as your backup 10 with a view to getting him minutes at 10 as well. Um, so, you know, Ronan O'Gara was saying last week, yeah, last week, that he expected... Frawley to get thirty minutes at ten against France and Crowley to get fifty, and obviously we you know we see that didn't happen. So I think there will be a desire to get Frawley onto the pitch earlier. Um onto the pitch in place of Crowley at ten if he is going to be the backup ten. But I think we'll see maybe maybe even Casey actually on the bench. Casey, Frawley, and McCluskey wouldn't surprise me to go for a five three. And then we can all stop talking about there being no the Ulsterman.
0: Well, it's all yet to be seen, anyway. And that game is at the Aviva Stadium. Are you going? Are either he's going
2: Sunday, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I get a nice day watching it on the sofa.
0: <laughs> Lovely. You can relax, listen to the commentary.
2: Get ready for the Super Bowl.
0: That actually, that pretty,
2: pretty much, yeah. That's uh, that's all I really care about on Sunday's Super Bowl.
0: <laughs> that I think all the Swifties are, are the same. Um,
2: Please do not lump me in with <laughs> Swifties. That's uh,
1: definitely not my Why would you route. not want to be an NFL loving Swiftie? It's a great time for us. We need
0: a pop star to like, go out with an Ulster rugby player to get all the eyes on the... On, anyway, that's a different podcast episode for a different day. Um,
2: I didn't realise we were into matchmaking on this podcast. <laughs> but yeah. I yeah. Surely there must Free have been somebody, but I can't uh-huh. actually think.
0: We'll think about that for next week. But yeah, the match is at, kick off at three o'clock at the Aviva Stadium. Um, you can watch it in ATV in Northern Ireland, in the UK. And if anyone's listening down south, probably know, but it's on Virgin Media. Um, and you can read all about it with Johnny and Adam's copy in the paper and on the website, BelfastTelegraph.co.uk. And until next week, uh, we will we'll not see you, but you'll hear us then. Thanks for listening. Bye.